Hi, I'm Bill Waldner, one of the managing partners here at Daily Advertising, and this is Oops, I Innovated, a podcast series celebrating people who created, innovated, and changed things, maybe in ways that surpassed even their own expectations. At the heart of this podcast and the reason for it is Daily's 50th anniversary celebration. You can follow us on Twitter at DailyLA or Instagram at Daily underscore LA and like us on Facebook. I'm here in the Daily Studio with my guest, Cliff Einstein. Cliff is chairman and one of the founders of Daily and my former boss. I actually struggled with calling you guest or should I call you host because um, you were the one who brought me in here and gave me my job here. I've been here for like almost 20 years or a little over 20 years of the 50 years of Daily. It's it's so strange for you to be asking me about the history when you and I have <laughs> what would be a total history. We Absolutely. could just start it's by back. saying, well, you came in and I met you and we saw your work and gosh, that's a good writer. We need a writer. Okay, you're hired. <laughs> <laughs> um, you want to talk a little bit about, I mean, you came from a very interesting background. You were L.A., born and raised, and your father was actually doing humor and, and part of the show business. And then how that sort of translated into getting into advertising? Well, my dad had been a radio comedian uh, of note, and he wrote his own material. And I grew up going to radio stations, sitting in the control room and when he let me and watching the sound of Fox guy clop, clop, clop right. as they walk down the street, open and shut doors, and watching them write scripts. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was interesting, what wasn't. So, you know, like if your father is a big league baseball pitcher, you can throw a curve at eight years old. <laughs> if you're come from me, you can do six dialects <laughs> and, and try and be funny yeah. as a kid because everybody in your house thinks that's admirable. Right. It's so, the currency in the family. Like, right? That's what you saw. So I thought you were supposed to be funny and tell stories. So narration, acting, performing, mostly telling stories became my method of moving through life. Mm-hmm. That's how I would write essays in school. That's how I would run for school office. That's how I would be in school plays. And I thought that's what you did. So I looked around to say, who who could do, how do you make money doing that right. if you're not an actor performer? Mm-hmm. And advertising was the closest thing to that because a great piece of advertising is akin to a great comedy routine. You have a warm-up where you catch somebody's attention and then you do the routine and you completely captivate someone. Right. And they do what you need them to do. In the case of the performer, it's laugh. Mm-hmm. In the case of selling something, a salesman, they agree to buy something. Absolutely. So they complete the cycle. So advertising fit those parts that I thought I could do. Um, when I started in advertising, I bought a record album from a guy named J. Douglas Edwards. And it was 16 ways to close a sale. <laughs> and he would give you sales training, what you had to do, mm-hmm. how you close the sale. The, the great one was, after you finish making your pitch, the next thing that you do is absolutely pivotal, and almost nobody does it. And it can be expressed in two key words. And they were, shut up. Shut <laughs> up. 
<laughs> and he said, he who talks first loses. Interesting. Um, Daily has been a part of the L.A. ad scene for, I think we were figuring out, it's probably the longest like run of an L.A. ad agency, 50 years now. And I was telling you earlier, I don't think that you accomplish a feat like that without some serious innovation. So I thought maybe you could tell us a little bit about the beginnings of Daily, and then we can talk a bit about like how you got into advertising. So Daily, Daily happened in a strange way. Daily was the brainchild of Peter H. Daly, who passed away this year. And uh, I met Peter at Foot Conan Belding when I came back from Mad Men. I got a job in New York in 1961, right when Don Draper went, and worked on soap and cosmetics and uh, let us put you in the driver's seat and the white tornado, which was Ajax all-purpose cleaner. And I spent a year there sort of like you'd get, try and get a master's, you know? Right. You're looking at your resume every week. Can I go now? When can I get out of here? When can I go home? So after a year, I had these accounts I'd worked on as a writer, if you could call it that. I came back here and I got a job at Foot Cone and Belding, and pretty soon this very aggressive, really cool account executive shows up, young. I think I was 22 and he was... Uh, 31, and he had played in the Rose Bowl for UCLA, Mm -hmm. for Red Sanders, the great coach, and his name was Peter Daly. So he was everybody's favorite account executive because he encouraged creativity, he was enthusiastic, supportive, lots of fun, loved to laugh. He still played football. He would go down the hall, fake left and cut right to turn into your office. You never knew whose office he was coming in because he'd throw a head fake and then dart into your office. And so he said to me, you know, Cliffy, we're going to work together. I got big plans. Uh, I don't know what it's going to be yet, but we're going to work together. This this isn't it. We're going to do something great. So then I move on. My creative director gets like a better job at a smaller agency, and he takes me with him. So this guy, Jack, is the copy director, but he gets to be creative director. So he takes me with him, and I get a title associate creative director. And I was uh, at a big department, one other guy. That was my, <laughs> my department, who didn't even like working for me, so I had no control over right. him. So uh, I worked there, and while I worked there, I was ambitious, and I was learning how to make advertising and thought I could do it, and I wanted Jack's job. I mean, I remember I'd go to bed at night. I ought to have Jack's job. Uh, What do I have to do? When will Jack die? He won't die soon because he's only eight years older than me. (laughs) I can't kill him. What do I do? I can't be here forever. So um, I was thinking that I could be a good creative director. I can write pretty well. I can present well. I love people. I'm really interested in the graphic side of the world, the visual side. Mm -hmm. I fit that. I should try really hard to be a good creative director and see if I can grow in that role. So I thought I'd found something that I could love to do forever. So Pete comes to me. He's still at Foot Cone and Belding. But he comes to me and he says, I got a pal who I think is the greatest art director anywhere. His name is Hal Silverman. 
he's looking for a writer as a partner. Mm -hmm. What does Hal do? Hal creates new products for Pillsbury. He worked in Minneapolis at an ad agency there, and he developed this skill, and he invented a drink called Funny Face. Right. And that got him famous. So now Pillsbury gives him technology, and he creates a range, a vector of like six things you could do with this. And they have a name and a package. So he creates a name and he creates a package design and a test ad. Then they go in a room with one-way glass and they ask people, would you be interested in food that tastes like meat, but it's really made from plant life and it looks like a stick? Right. And, and, they, and then people say, no, <laughs> yes. What's it called? Space food sticks. Okay. I'll I'll have that. Right. So that was that was a whole business. We called it new product development. And it was just dawning all over. People were interested in that. But Hal needed a writer. So I interviewed with Hal and he gave me like a test and I, he could teach me how this all worked. So now, was I, he working independently? Was this just his I left and yeah, he was working independently. Okay. And he owed them fifteen days a month. Mm-hmm. Then he could do anything else. Okay. And they paid him by the month. So he convinced them to pay more and bring this guy on who'd be a writer right. and augment the services. And we started Silverman Einstein. And we were new product development company. But we also were the first freelancers anywhere yeah. that I had ever seen because we hired ourselves out to ad agencies. You got a new business pitch? Add our creative team. But before us, there was no such thing. Nobody we sort of made it. that up by accident. So what did we do? We started working for Pete because Pete had now landed at Campbell Ewald in right. Los Angeles. Now, Campbell Ewald was a grand old agency that had represented Chevrolet for, I don't know, 50 years. And this is in the 60s. Mm-hmm. So they've been around since Chevy was around. Detroit-based. They hired Pete to come in and run the Western region. So we uh, worked for Daily. It wasn't Daily. It was called Campbell Ewald West. And Hal and I would go over there and help Pete pitch business. So we felt like we were sort of part of that family. And uh, Pete ran this, tried to build it up. His L.A. office billed about a million dollars. San Francisco was about six, and that was the Western region. In 1967, late 67, there was a bit of a recession, and Campbell Wall told Pete, we're getting out of the West. Chevy wants us home. we got to pay attention okay. to our big, big business. Right. Sell this to somebody. We don't know anybody out here. Yeah. Sell it to somebody. So Pete said, boy, this is my chance. And he got some of his buddies together. He created a board, and they each put in about Mm $10,000, and they bought the business for $100,000. This is the entire Campbell Ewald West region? they bought it all. Okay. So Pete says, I'm going to start this. I'm going to call it Daily and Associates, and you and Hal can come and be the creative directors. But Hal didn't want to do it. Okay. He didn't want to hang out back in an agency role. 
But I'd been sitting in a room with him for three and a half years. I was lonely. Yeah. I needed to get back in the game. Were you in Hal? Were you based in L.A.? Is that yep. where you're? Okay, so you had an office here. Yeah, I was just here. So I said, I'll do it. And I left this new product business and came over here. We had already merged our little business into a bigger entity. And the fascinating thing was Interpublic found us as it was being formed. Mm -hmm. And this is a little divergent, but Marion Harper, who was head of media at McCann Erickson, conceived of an idea where if you had more than one ad agency under a single roof, you could get more than one client in the same business. So he created the idea of Interpublic, and he started to build a, a chain of ad agencies. And he found us and put us under contract to him for a year. Mm -hmm. We sort of didn't like that much, but it seemed profitable and a good idea. And that's what I had to leave to come to work at Daily & Associates. So it yeah. took me a while to give my notice and get out of there. Right. And I came 18 days late. So the company was started January 1st. <laughs> I got there January 18th. So I asked Pete, can I be a partner? He said, no, there's no partners yet. It's Daily & Associates. Everybody's a partner. Well, could I have any ownership? Well, yes, but not now. Your business that you had before moving over to Daily, clearly there was something about what Pete was doing that seemed more appealing to you. Like, what was it? Do you remember specifically? Did it just seem more exciting or? Yes. We were in the advertising business and not in it. Mm -hmm. Everything was fake. You made test ads, things only to be researched. You rarely got to follow it through right. and make the advertising that people saw. There's no media being placed. Okay. You were invisible. So this is an opportunity you, now. You to... weren't a factor. Right. You were like a scientist right. in the lab. And somebody else was making the product. Right. And this was also when you have one partner and that's it. And if he's 11 years older, mm -hmm. he basically beats you up for three and a <laughs> half years. He tells you how the world works. Right. And he was a brilliant teacher. Yeah. But you, you could quickly Time. lose your confidence. Right. I needed... I could be a creative director at right. 26 years old. Yes. It was going to be crazy, you know? So we, we started. And uh, the creative department was me, one writer, and two art directors. And they were great people. And we began to make new business pitches. And then in a little while, we got the blue chip stamp business. You might have to educate. Uh... <laughs> I don't know if there's anything like it today. Think of an affinity program where right. when you bought something, you got stamps and you put the stamps in a book and the stamps gave you points and later you could redeem the points for all kinds of objects. Right. When we started, we had no creative reputation at all. There was no evidence that this new entity would be a creative force. And I needed to try and build us a creative reputation. So... We went to the local award show, which was called the Belding Awards. Right. And at that show, my brother Bob won something for a Granny Goose commercial. Uh -huh. He was a young writer there. 
before he left and joined the Smothers Brothers right. as a comedy Bob writer. Einstein. Bob Einstein. And he was at Gray Advertising. And Pete turned to Gene Stokes, who was running the office, and said, I think we got the wrong Einstein. <laughs> that, that, that was definitely motivating. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. So we tried hard. So the next year, we won three Belding Bowls. We won a bowl for outdoor advertising uh-huh. for Vitapact. We won a bowl for direct mail advertising for our own move down Wilshire to new offices. Uh-huh. We sent everybody a little box with a touchstone in it, and it said, we've moved a stone's throw down Wilshire. <laughs> and we won, that. we won the direct mail award with our own money. Yes. And we won a poster for Ditto Jeans, because uh-huh. we had gotten that business, and a campaign called You Can Feel the Fit. And that brought us some notoriety. People started to say, God, they stood up three times, these people. Right. Who are they? Right. We were really at the top of the list of creative agencies with that moment. We suddenly were sitting there behind the really cool agencies that were doing great work in town. And as time went on, we developed a reputation for creating big ideas that could run for a long time. Mm-hmm. That was the nature of what we gave clients. We will look at who you are, learn the personality of who you are. We will not invent something and overlay it on you. Right. We'll draw something out of your history and who you are, and then we'll craft a personality that perfectly fits you and put some dramatic convention to it, and you will have an ad campaign right. that can work in many media that will last a long time. It's funny you mentioned that because I feel like that's still in our DNA, finding that overused word, but authenticity. Like, what can you say about that brand and that product that's honest and really comes from them, not overlaid onto them? Yes. We did exactly what you've just said. We found who are you, what about you is relevant to your audience, and how do we tell it in an interesting way? So this began to surface as we picked up accounts where we could make television commercials and get noticed a little bit. The Ditto campaign, we put that company on the map, and it grew dramatically. It was designer jeans, Very strong, yeah. There were Levi's, but Ditto's fit better. Right. And we also developed dramatic media techniques. We bought four spots on the Grammys and used all the money on that and then promoted it for months ahead and months after the show. When was this? This was 70s. Wow. And we did a famous musical commercial with Clark Terry, the great trumpet player and jazz singer. Mm -hmm. Those commercials won awards, the posters won awards, and the company became very celebrated. So we had a success that we could show that to people. By the way, early in our history, we got hired by Santa Anita, and we had the idea of doing a two-minute TV commercial. Nobody had done that. Mm-hmm. You see them now on the Super Bowl or, you know, special events. Right. And the only way to do it was to go to the general managers of local TV stations and tell them we would pay for 4.30s, but we yeah. needed to be two minutes. Right. And then within the two-minute commercial was a 30 that you could excerpt out that was the race. Right. That commercial only had a few words of narration that occurred right at the end where a voice said, this is our day at Santa Anita. Tomorrow could be your day. Mm -hmm. 
That was a big hit, and that won the Building Sweepstakes Award. So now we got involved in the financial arena with a small savings and loan company called United Savings. They were L.A.-based. They had 13 offices, so we created colonies, the 13 states, the original <laughs> states of United. Right. And they bought the Helms Hall of Fame mm-hmm. on Venice Boulevard. And tell us what the Helms Hall of Fame was. In 1932, the first Olympics came to America, and it was in L.A., and the Helms Bread Company, and they were the official bread of the Olympics. And so they started a sports museum in the factory, and they put all kinds of memorabilia from the Olympics, Helms Olympic Bread. Mm -hmm. And United bought it, and we created great moments in sports as a radio campaign and used it. These great moments have been brought to you by United Savings, who can give you the moments of your life, et cetera, et cetera. So we created this really interesting thing. Then the, the CEO named Jim Montgomery, he left to take a bigger job in Northern California, Mm -hmm. and we lost the business. So we were out of the savings and loan business until Jim was hired by Great Western Savings. And he shows up again, and we got hired again, this time a really big savings and loan. So we were looking for something to really put this company on the map and... uh, I had an art director named Barry Carter who passed away from stomach cancer as a very young man. He was a really talented, wonderful, wonderful guy. He's like like a little brother to me. And we were all like sitting around, what can we do for these people? They've got a cowboy now that comes out with a big hat and says some stuff, but nobody really, it's not really a breakthrough ad campaign. What can we do? to just jolt him to do something big because they've got the money for a big budget. And Barry said, well, we should hire John Wayne. And I said, well, that's great. Good idea, Barry. <laughs> like, okay, fine. We'll right. just do yeah. that. Just go out and hire yeah, John You don't Wayne. do that, Barry. <laughs> Let me tell you how advertising right. works. You don't hire John <laughs> Wayne to do an ad. But I called a guy, an agent. I said, Please don't ever tell anybody I asked you this, but a guy just told me we should hire John Wayne. Right. What do you think? And he said, I think you can hire anybody if you find the right thing. I hear he's running out of money and he's been sick and he needs to keep his boat. (laughs) So I went to Pete and I said, Barry thinks we should hire John Wayne. What do you think, Pete? And Pete said, I'm going to go to the executive chairman of Great Western, Stuart Davis, who lives like next to him on Lido Isle. Right. And tell him that. And Stuart went to John Wayne, and John Wayne said, I'll do it, but I'll only do it if you do it the way I want to do commercials. Right. Can't be too, can't have a lot of sell in them. A lot of rules. You right. Know, just pure. So we paid John Wayne a million dollars in 1978 for three years. That's 10 million. Right. That's a big, big deal. Yeah. And we started with me going out there to his house with scripts. Mm -hmm. And I'd read him the scripts and he'd say, I'm not doing that. 
That's the worst thing I ever heard. So <laughs> who wrote that? Yeah. We have guys that write it. Yeah. Everybody called him Duke. I wouldn't call him Duke. Right. It was too, you too the like, I couldn't say it. <laughs> right. I called him John, hoping that was okay. And he said, I'm not doing that. Okay, what would you do? I'm up for it. Did, right. You know, you, you know more than us. What would you do? I'd be out there with my kids. I've got these young kids and that we'd have a campfire, and I'd say, first light, cool air, air, warm fire, fire, hot coffee, letting them sleep in. This is their last day of vacation. They're growing up, and I hate to lose them. You know, I've done a lot of things in my life I'm not too proud of, but Storing up for those two is not one of them. And I found the right place to do it. Great Western Savings. Save a little for your kids. It's a nice way to start a day. I'm writing as fast as I can. <laughs> <laughs> so I go back and I tell Howard who wrote it. He didn't like our script. He's got some ideas. Yeah. Howard, just in from New York, said, okay, so what's his idea? Cool air, one fire. <laughs> he coward says, I can't do that. I quit. <laughs> so Howard quit. Oh, no. So John John Wayne wrote him. And I'd, I'd write what he said. Right, yeah. And we did 12 of them. But John Wayne thought I was like a stupid child. He, he I mean, you know, he didn't trust me. I didn't make movies. I wasn't John Ford. Right, exactly. So I hired Haskell Wexler. Great. And Conrad yeah. Hall. yeah the greatest cinematographers in the world, to shoot him. Haskell had more Oscars than John Wayne. Right. So we shot these things all over. And they were 60 seconds, and they were so beautiful. And you can find them now on YouTube. You can They're still mm -hmm. around. And Daly got on the map. Daly won every award we won, like eight bowls that year for TV and the sweepstakes right. for it. So now we got John Wayne. We got Great Western. We're sort of rising up, and we have an opportunity to pitch Honda Motorcycles, 1978. And the field is terrifying. It's Wells Rich and Green, McCann Erickson, Ogilvy, and Daly. John Wayne got us in Daly. Uh -huh. The Japanese thought, that's really yeah. cool. So those days, you know, everything was a speculative pitch. They gave you a little money and you had to invent something. And there was this song by Mahalia Jackson, I Got the Whole World in My Hand, right. and I was thinking that's a cool song, and then it occurred to me that riding a motorcycle, you got the whole world in your right hand. Mm -hmm. That's the acceleration, that's how you control everything. It's like playing a guitar, shooting a gun, it's sort of the same thing. Right. So I went to New York to this guy, Joey Levine, who was a famous writer of big thematic commercial music. And I said to him, I got an idea for Follow the Leader. He's on a Honda. He's got the world in his hand. Mm -hmm. And Joey wrote this song, Follow the Leader. He's on a Honda. Yeah. Okay. So we made this pitch, and we created all the music, and we said, we're going to put you into TV big time, get you out of print. And the assignment was... We are the leading share by about a point, but everybody's catching us, and people don't think we're the leader. 
they think Yamaha is the leader. Right. So how can we recapture leadership? Reclaim that role, right? So we, well, you got to tell people you're the leader to start with. So we presented that. And each year at the big motorcycle convention where thousands of dealers gather somewhere, the new line of motorcycles is presented. So a film is made. So we propose that while you're making the film, why don't we use that for the TV commercials as well? Mm -hmm. You'll save a lot of money, and we'll put the music to it. And we cut something from last year's film. Right. So we won that business. And that was the defining moment in Daly's history because we, we almost doubled the size of the agency wow. by doing that. Because that business came in at $20 million, mm -hmm. and it grew to about $50 million because shortly thereafter, we had a chance to pitch power equipment, which were generators, right. lawnmowers, and snowblowers. Right. Now, they wanted a theme for that, but we said, well, you've got a car theme, we make it simple, and you've got a motorcycle theme, follow the leader, so this has to relate to that. So the theme we gave them was, it's a Honda, which means, if you like our famous right. stuff, this is as good. You're using the halo of those yeah. brands that you know so it's well. It's a Mercedes. Right. We said that's what you'd say if it was a Mercedes. Right. So we won that business. When all that went together, the agency got very big. We began to get really great, interesting, big accounts. And we always tried to do this, this solution style where you create something that lasts and lasts. You know, the great Western campaign, mm -hmm. when John Wayne died two years after we hired him, we met quickly and said, what do we do? We can't leave this. So we realized John Wayne was the great Westerner. Right. So we could find other great Westerners, but we couldn't have just one because John Wayne was one. Very singular, right? We started with Glenn Ford, and then we segued, added in Barbara Stanwyck, Maureen O'Hara, mm -hmm. Ben Johnson, John Houston, and... All people who, like, had associations with Western Movies, and, yeah, Western movie stars. Yeah. And we ran that out and then went to TV and got Dennis Weaver. Mm -hmm. And Dennis did our, what, 15 years or something right. did it. So, you know, you created a campaign that lasted well into the 90s from the 70s. I think that's something else that's really been in the DNA of the agency these campaigns and that last for a long time and clients who stay for a long time too. And how many of these ideas that you're talking about have become new again, like suddenly long form, Yes. even using John Wayne, you know, yes. we talk about influencers now and you look at, at Super Bowl spots from last year, how many of them feature celebrities? Just, yes. I mean, that seems to be, yes. you know, the currency is how many yes. celebrities you can get in. Yes. It's really interesting to hear. And, and even the Grammy thing that you were talking about, these sort of media ideas and uh, the long form and using people who, you know, today they probably call them influencers, but using these names and these people who have some weight and have some credibility. And it's funny da how that's come around. Daily would be accused in those days of you solve everything with a celebrity. Right. However, we always picked the celebrity that represented the brand in a human form. So we never ran into, I remember the celebrity, but I don't know what they were doing Absolutely. there. So we had John Wayne, and that really changed the idea in this country that a famous person could, mm -hmm. could be the star of a TV commercial. 
But really that came from earlier times when companies owned TV shows. Right. So Milton Berle for Texaco right. was one and the same Back thing. Back into radio, in or fact. Or Jack Benny yeah. for Jell-O. Yeah. Or Dinah Shore for Chevrolet. Right. Or that once was the way you did things. The program and the advertising were seamlessly integrated. I got into the business around 89, 90. When I got into the business, it was when right when the Japanese car companies began to, like... You just put your finger on the secret. Uh, the L.A. advertising scene changed forever when the Japanese car companies came to L.A. and changed right. it. So we had to be in that, too. In 1969, we heard that a strange new car was coming to America that would have a power plant called a Wankel engine. This was a rotating cylinder that allowed it to run at very high RPM mm -hmm. and be kind of remarkably powerful for its engine size. Right. So we said, what's it going to be called? It's going to be called a Mazda. Okay. And where is it? There aren't any in America. <laughs> where are they? They're in Canada right now. Okay. So Pete and I got in a plane and went to Canada. Really? I had no idea. And we got our law firm to do a deal with a firm up there, and we bought one. Mm -hmm. Then we told the border guys, we're just driving across and looking at America. <laughs> we'll see you later. We'll be back. Yeah. And we had the only Mazda in America. Oh, my God. And we, we got it so we could make a pitch. They were coming, and we fashioned the pitch on Mazda's coming to America, and we're going to take you there. Here is the journey of the first Mazda. Mm -hmm. And I, as part of it, I took it to the drag strip in Long Beach mm -hmm. and won the Volkswagen class <laughs> in wearing a sport coat and loafers. Because <laughs> it was just, it was like, it had the cubic inches of a Volks right. and the horsepower of, of 100 horsepower right. instead of 36. Right. So I actually missed a shift in the last run and it didn't matter. I still beat the guy. <laughs> so we presented the trophy as part of the presentation. That's great. And we thought we were presenting to the client, and we were never talking to anybody who could make the right oh, decision. No. We just couldn't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Footcone got the business. Oh. So we didn't get that. Next, we pitched the Chrysler dealers. Uh -huh. We didn't get that. But then in 74, the Ford dealers reviewed, and we made that pitch, and we won. And we have that account to this day, 43 years. I don't Amazing. think there's a longer account anywhere. Nobody's Does, still yeah, with no. something. And uh, I still work on it. We've been with that business forever. And we had one run in the uh, 90s with Lindsay Wagner right. that was a spokeswoman, which was very fresh. People thought it was the national campaign. I remember. Enormously successful. So uh, we go along and go along, and uh, the agency grows and grows and grows. And in 1983, Pete had been ambassador to Ireland. Phil Juano and I were running the company. And when Pete came back, we met with him and we said, you don't want to be in advertising anymore. You've been an ambassador to a foreign country. <laughs> uh, you don't care about this stuff. We still want to do it. Can we buy it from you or something? I mean, what do you want to do? And he said, what if we sold it? And we said, well, we don't want to sell it. I mean, we're just really doing great. And he said, well, we may have already sold it. 
<laughs> Since Feet had 51% of the company and we each had 15% at that time, we did get ownership, um, we didn't have much to say. So we said, well, that's terrible. He said, well, let me show you what we sold it for. It's not so terrible. <laughs> and you can run it. So, okay, we'll try. So we did. And Boy, we grew the company because we had control. And that was that was the sale to IPG? Yeah, we sold it to Interpublic Group, and they wanted to change our name, and they wanted to uh, hook us up to McCann Erickson. Right. And, and we said no, and they're all our clients, and if you want us here, we got to do it this way. If not, you take it, and we'll pass. Right. So they had no leverage. They let us alone, and we grew and grew and grew. We did very well. When I first started and I was freelancing, Daily was kind of the middle-sized agency with Jay Walter, Ogilvy, McCann, uh, Gray, a lot of, of huge entities that aren't in L.A. anymore or, yes. or have very small yes. post offices now, but, yes. but clearly aren't, the, aren't what they used to be. And now, you know, Daily is, here we are celebrating 50th year. So 50th year, and we're three things we're smaller, own ourselves, and we're profitable. Right. Uh, thank you so much, Cliff. It's a joy talking to you and okay. for hiring me. <laughs> okay. Well, thanks for having usual. me in. What a thrill. All right. This is the Oops, I Innovated podcast, and this is Bill Waldner. Thanks, Cliff. <laughs>